Hi everyone, I'm your host Tess from Spellbinding and you're listening to Everyday Witch, a show that helps you discover and unlock the magic within. Hello everyone, today's guest is Lorraine Anderson who is a multidisciplinary spiritual teacher, writer, and soul-based entrepreneur whose work focuses heavily on intentional and energetic living, as well as using spiritual practices as a pathway for profound healing, growth, and transformation. She is the co-creator of the best-selling Seasons of the Witch Oracle deck and several other spiritual titles. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, and I'd love if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, as you said, I am Lorraine. I've been in spiritual wellness and magical creation and spellcraft and all of that for probably 15 years now. Um, I kind of just stumbled into all of this. It wasn't an intentional decision, but, you know, spirit decided this is where I needed to go and that's where I ended up. Um, so it's been a really fun journey and I've been reading tarot and oracle cards for probably maybe 10 out of 15 years of doing all of this. Um, but my real bread and butter is just making ritual potions and apothecary potions and beauty potions and all of that. I love doing it. It's something that I have been doing for many years for free that no one has paid me for. So the fact that I can do it for a job just makes me even more excited and, and thrilled. Um, so yeah. That's a, that's a little bit about me, just a little bit. And for those who are astrology curious, Scorpio sun, Pisces moon, Capricorn rising, because I get that question a lot. <laughs> Is there something specific that drew you to tarot? You know, so um, when I started reading tarot, I had started working for this small, at the time it was small, um, crystal store And it was an online crystal shop. It was very few at the time. You know, the only place you could get crystals were from like your neighborhood psychic eye place. Um, So this is one of the first ones to really do the whole online thing. And there was a woman there who is now a really good friend of mine who was reading tarot cards, um, my friend Lillian. And I was so intrigued because I had seen tarot cards all over the place. You know, like you see them in movies and things like that, but I had never gotten a tarot reading. And I said, hey, Lillian, can I um, like, can I try this? And she goes, yeah, sure. You want to go to Starbucks? And I'm like, I don't know about this. We're going to Starbucks and like, we're going to read all these tarot cards in the middle of this coffee shop. But we went and of course, everyone was staring at us like we were crazy. But she just blew me away. Like she just, she pulled out all of these cards and she started just reading about things that she had like no clue about. I mean, at this point, we'd known each other for like three weeks. You know, we had just started working there. So it wasn't like she knew me personally or anything about me. And it just kind of like blew my mind. And from then on, I was just like, I've got to learn more about this. Like I've got to study this. So I just started going online. I went to Barnes and Noble and bought my first tarot deck. And then it kind of just took, it just went off from there. That that was in July and that November for Thanksgiving, I was reading tarot cards for like everyone in my family and everyone was intrigued. That's what really blew me away because my whole family was like, yeah, I'll get a reading. And then like some people were in tears. Some people were like, oh my God. And it just felt like I had found my way home. Yeah. Do you have, what was your first deck and do you have a suggestion for people on what their first deck should be? 
My very first tarot deck was an odd deck called the Steampunk Tarot. It was in this like bright blue box and it was all steampunk themed. I don't even know why I decided to buy it. It just felt interesting. And I do love the deck and I still have it. The box is like falling apart, but um, I do really love the deck. Um, but I think if you're like starting out with a tarot deck, definitely just get the like traditional Rider Waite Smith deck because so many decks, I mean, there's sky's the limit now, but so many of us are really referencing that deck. And so if you start with the original and you really know the themes and concepts, it becomes a lot easier to be able to interpret cards when, you know, some things are similar, but some things have changed. I feel like it, it's kind of like the granddaddy of the deck. So it, you might as well start with the beginners. And I use my Rider Waite Smith deck all the time, like still, even now that deck is now at this point, 100 and what, 15, 20 years old. And I still think it has a lot of value and a lot of um, symbolism that really carries forward. So that's my suggestion. Uh, I totally agree. My first deck was the Wild Unknown. <laughs> but then I went to Rider Waite and I've been using that for so long, even though I have a bunch of different other decks, I always use the Rider Waite one. I feel like I use it a lot too. There's three decks that I use all the time. It's the Rider Waite Smith deck. Um, there's a deck called, it's an indie deck called La Flora Tarot, which I love. It is not for beginners, but it is absolutely beautiful. And her guidebook is amazing. And then the Ophidia Rosa Tarot, which also is not for beginners, but it is also very beautiful. And um, the imagery is very beautiful. I also tend to really like minimal decks. Um, I don't like when decks get too colorful and like crazy and have too many things going on. Um, and both of those are very minimal. So that kind of tells you my reading style, like two very minimal decks and then right away. Those are like the three that I read with all the time. And I have plenty of tarot decks. Like I could, you know, choose my pick of the litter, but those are the three I come back to all the time. You also have created Oracle decks. And I'd love if you could talk a little bit about your process in creating and designing them. So creating Oracle decks is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I knew almost right away when I started reading Tarot and Oracle that I wanted to make an Oracle deck. I think just because of the environment that I was in, like I was working for, even though I call it a crystal store, it really was like a whole like witch spiritual emporium. So we had a lot of things going on. Um, and I've been a writer for a really long time. I've been writing since I was a kid. Like I've won um, awards for poetry and things like that. So it felt like a natural progression for me. But when I go to write a deck, the first thing that I kind of think of is like the theme, like my, my I'm, I'm a theme person. Like I love things to be like niche down and theme. So I, I immediately start with the theme and then I kind of work my way into the keywords and, or actually I'll backtrack. I start with a, like a visual theme and then I start with an energetic theme and then I kind of just build the keywords from there. And then getting kind of the whole structure out. I like to know like, What's the purpose of this deck? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to interact with it? Um, what are times where this deck is going to be most supportive for people? I tend to put that in my guidebooks. Like, you know, you can use it for divination, but also use it for when like you're really sad or when you really want to focus on abundance, things like that. And then in terms of writing, um, I do not write when... I am feeling like ambivalent or kind of like lazy. I'm like, I'm not kind of like, I'll just go and write. I really have to feel like inspired and happy or sometimes I write when I'm sad and like depressed. So those are kind of like my writing spaces. And sometimes I can 
sit in meditation in the morning and like bang out a deck in a weekend. And sometimes it takes me a really long time to really understand the messages. If I can't articulate it well, when I'm writing a card, then I feel like the card isn't ready. So I have to kind of sit with that and come back to it. So it's a, it's a process. It unfolds the way that it's going to unfold. I have a whole little writing space that I have and a writing ritual. And I kind of just got to let it come to me when it does and not force it. Um, I feel like you feel it if I force it in the deck. So however, however spirit delivers it to me is how you guys get it. Do you have a favorite deck that you've created? I always say my favorite deck is my current deck because that is absolutely true. I write a deck and I absolutely love it. And then I write another one and I'm like, oh my God, I love this one. Like, this is my favorite. And I think that the reason why that happens is because I I usually write decks, like the decks that I write are the things that I need at the time. I don't think I've ever written a deck that started as one thing and ended the way that I intended because I always learn something about myself when I'm writing these decks. Like I always have these huge epiphanies. So whatever deck I finished last is usually the kind of space that I'm in and the energy that I need the most of. So that I always say that the, the last deck is my favorite deck. I love that. That's great. Um, what interests you the most about the wheel of the year and why did you decide to write a book about it? So for the wheel of the year, I think that even though, you know, in olden times, like it's like more of an agricultural calendar and things like that, we don't really live that way. But like, I feel like we sort of should be in an energetic sense. Um, and I think that for me, the seasons have always been intriguing because I live in Los Angeles and we don't really have seasons. We have like two seasons, you know, like like primarily warm and then cold in the winter. Um, so I've always been intrigued by the seasons and I wanted a way to feel more connected to them. And when I discovered the wheel of the year, that's what it felt like for me. Like it felt like a way to where I can connect with the seasons. Number one, in a way that kind of eclipsed the, the just four main seasons, broke it down a little bit further. Um, but also because it was the first time that I had really saw the seasons as like an evolutionary energy and not just like you know, the leaves are changing. So it's fall. It really felt like it identified cycles that I felt in my everyday life. Um, so when I wrote the book in truth, I wrote the book with the wheel of the year because I wanted them to go along with the tarot cards, because the way that I feel like I practice is I kind of, I call it layers of magic, where when I'm working on something, I want like each layer to correspond with each other. It's kind of like correspondence correspondences in spellcraft. Um, and I really see like my practice the same way. Like when I make ritual potions, when I'm working with a deck, when I'm making an altar, like I want kind of all of that energy to be in the same place. I think if you have too many energies happening at one time, you, your spirit just gets like confused and pulls in too many directions. So I wanted a way to where I could like introduce my love of ritual potions making to the world, but in a way that felt like it kind of tied into what I was already doing, which was the seasons of the witch decks. Um, and I, I just love the wheel of the year. I think probably more than any other energy that I work with is just like working with cycles. So whether it's the moon cycles, the seasons or the Sabbaths, those are like what makes me feel comfortable and makes me feel like, and I can actually track my evolutionary process. I think that probably more than anything, sorry, I like the way that I talk. I kind of like have epiphanies as I talk with people and have conversations. So if I'm like all over the place, it's just because my mind is like working through all of this. Um, but I feel like, as I'm saying that now, I feel like just having something 
cyclical where I can track things and work with things and, and really have these stopping points where I can say, okay, here's a moment to reflect. Here's a moment to intend. Here's a moment to really understand where I'm at in life really feels supportive and nourishing for me. And I think the wheel is probably the best example of that outside of the moon cycles, of course. Yeah, I can totally relate to the seasons because I'm in Arizona. So it's just burning hot and then cooler and then back to being hot. So, but I originally was in Chicago and that's when you like the seasons, the snow, you know, I missed that a little bit with the leaves and then the snow and how beautiful it was. But I think it's nice that you can find a way to like celebrate it without actually having to be in the seasons also. And do you have any advice for people to celebrate the wheel of the year? Yes. So I think um, for one, really get out in nature. I think that's so important. Even if you live in a place like we do, like Los Angeles or Arizona, there is the seasons are happening in those places. You kind of just have to look for them. Um, I was telling this woman on Instagram just yesterday uh, that there's a street here in my town where it's like the only street and it's lined with these huge trees, but those trees experience the seasons. I mean, they turn like beautiful, like pink and purple in the spring and summer and like really rich amber in the fall and they have bare leaves in the winter. So there's a clear like space for me. And it's basically like a park, like it's a street, but it's like a whole park. Um, and that's a great way to kind of just begin to see the seasons working, just get out in nature. But then of course, bringing it back into your house, like build an altar, you know, you don't, you don't have to do anything elaborate. You can just get a few pieces that for you represent Samhain or um, Beltane. You can work with crystal energies. You can, if all you can get is like a candle and a crystal, just to hold that space, that's totally fine. It's more so about acknowledging it and being in like taking steps to say, okay, I really want to like own this energy and work with it and be present. And if like all you can use is a spray, that's fine too. Or if you have a whole space where you can build a gigantic altar, that's also great. Um, but just being present for it and making a decision that this is something that I really want to pay attention to. And this is something that I want to work with. And then of course, from an evolutionary standpoint, you can use my Oracle decks, but also, um, you know, get online and look for like journal prompts or look for spreads that you can do to help you kind of understand the energy and how it manifests for you, because it's going to be personal for each individual person, right? Like we all celebrate Samhain, but we all celebrate it in a completely different way. So you really want to understand how your energy works with this energy and just kind of, you know, there's plenty of tools online for you to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, what started you down your spiritual path or do you have like examples of how your spiritual journey kind of changed and grew over time? Okay. Um, what started me down my spiritual path? What started me with that is aromatherapy and herbalism. I started just doing herbalism at no spirituality at all. And it just kind of morphed into that. I I didn't accidentally, but I bought a book called Water Magic. Um, which I thought was just a run of the mill like bath book, but come to find out it was very spiritual. Like it had all of these crystal rituals and, you know, all of these different like protection rituals. And it was the first thing that I'd ever seen like that. And I was just so intrigued. Um, and that kind of just led to one thing, which led to another. And next thing I knew, I was like full on making spells and potions and all of that. Um, so that's how I got started with that. And then in terms of, um, like how my path changed over time. 
I think that, I think I just kind of have been like gently nudged in each little direction. You know, I kind of just make an intention that this is what I want and somehow that intention manifests in whatever way it's going to manifest. And that just takes me one step closer to the next evolution of my journey. Kind of like um, before I started working at that big like witch emporium that I was telling you about, I was working in fashion. Like I was an operations director in fashion. I was like going to fun parties and things like that. And then I just decided that I really wanted something that utilized my skills my professional skills and then my hobbies, which was making these potions and law of attraction and all of that stuff. And I kind of put that intention out into the universe. And then I found a job that was exactly that. And then I said, okay, I really want to, you know, write an Oracle deck. And, and that kind of just morphed into me slowly, like moving things around to where I was able to start working with Rockpool um, just as an influencer. And then I wrote a deck and then they were like, we'll take the deck. And I, I think it's just, showing up for yourself and paying attention to those little breadcrumbs and not questioning them when they come. I mean, all like all of these things are happening for a reason and they're all either pushing you further away or closer to what you want. And I think as long as you're clear about what you want and you're willing and ready to take like hold of opportunities when they come, then your spiritual path will will be a beautiful wild ride. And you'll look back and you'll be like, I can't even believe I'm here now, but it's just really just following the nudges when they come. Yeah, my path is a little bit similar to yours. And like I started with aromatherapy and helping someone create their skincare line using essential oils. And then I went and got a reading and they were like, you need more magic in your life. And then I just started buying books and like reading about it and learning about it. And then it was like from there on, I just dove headfirst into it. So it's funny how like learning about herbs and then essential oils can, it just automatically leads you down that path a lot of times and it goes hand in hand. Um, since you have so many different like modalities that you do use and you are a spiritual teacher as well, is there any that are your favorites to use for other people with healing? Um, I think my favorites really really are oracle decks honestly i love working with tarot and oracle decks i love to give advice but in my personal life my family and friends are like i don't want your advice you know what i mean like don't oracle deck me um so when i work with clients and when i work with people i get like it's an open opportunity for me to be able to do something that i think that i'm really good at i feel like i'm really good at giving unbiased advice um and seeing things for what they are even when i read my own even when i read for myself um and i love connecting with people like i love being able to have conversations with people and being able to feel like i'm getting to know them a little bit when i read cards and i think that um I really love teaching people how to read cards for themselves. I know some people tend to get a little intimidated by it, but I feel like it's such a beautiful process. I think the best spiritual guidance I've ever gotten was through my Oracle cards. So I love to teach people like my tips and tricks on how you can be a better Oracle card reader, how you can look at it from a different perspective, um, kind of get out of the normal way of reading cards. Um, and then if I had to pick something as a secondary level, I think I just really like focusing on self-care because personally, I feel like your body really is your temple. And if you're not taking care of your body, then you're not taking care of your spirit. So I feel like that's an easy, practical way for people to kind of 
develop more self-love and self-understanding is just by, you know, paying attention to how your body is feeling. You know, is my body, do I feel like I need more water today? Do I feel like I need more sunshine today? Like really listening to those clues. I think your spirit is always talking to you through your body. And once you get familiar with those subtle energies, then it becomes a lot easier to work with subtle energies like abundance and um, things like finding love and finding peace. And, and, you know, if you want to manifest that new car, understanding how energy works in your body and having that physical tactile understanding, I think naturally leads to spiritual well-being in other ways. Do you have advice for like beginners with tarot? Like what would be your number one advice for someone looking to start reading? My number one advice. Oh my God. Okay. I'm actually really excited about this because <laughs> I feel like I get this question a lot, not this question, but, um, People are always asking me, you know, if I pull cards and I don't like the answer or it doesn't fit, you know, what I asked, what should I do? And I I always say, don't pull more cards, like just sit with the cards and reflect on what these cards are trying to tell you, because the thing is that your soul pulled these cards, right? You know, like this was your higher self trying to give you a message. And just because you don't understand it or just because you don't like the cards does not mean you got the wrong answer. You may have to, you know, pay attention a little more, do a little bit more investigating, but this is an open opportunity for you to find deeper awareness about yourself and about your question. So I always say, if you don't like the answer, just put the card on your altar someplace, walk off and come back, you know, go get a cup of tea, get something to eat, come back and just re-reflect on it once you've calmed down and see if you can figure out what this card is meaning. Because in my opinion, there is no such thing as getting a wrong card or getting a card that isn't relevant. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it isn't relevant. So beginners, don't keep asking the same question over and over and over again. You're only going to confuse yourself more. Just try and sit with the card that you have and see if you can, you know, do some investigative work and dive deeper. Do you feel that people like should read very structured? Like if someone pulls a reverse card, do you think it has to be read in the reverse or do you read more like intentionally just based off how you're interpreting that card in the moment? I don't think, I don't think there's really any rules, honestly. Um, I don't, I don't read reverse cards most of the time, but for whatever reason, I swear it happens all the time. Like all of the cards will be straight up. Like I'll look at them and make sure that they're all upright. And then somehow I pull reverse cards. I have no idea how it happens, but it happens a lot. Um, so I guess like in years of my reading style, when that happens, I just assume that, okay, well, if I went through all of this effort to make sure that they were upright and it still came out reversed, and this is something that I, I should pay attention to. Um, but other than that, I don't really make any effort to read cards in reverse. I don't feel like you need to. I think that there's, especially when you're reading from a tarot deck, right? I mean, there's 78 cards. There's plenty of cards in there that are going to tell you something that you maybe don't want to hear. I don't think you have to add the reverse layer onto that to have an effective reading. But if you do, if you are someone who likes to read reverse, like I know someone who only reads reverse cards, like she keeps her cards reversed all the time, which I like, she's the only person I know who does that, but as she loves doing it. Um, so I think reading cards is such a personal thing. You have to really just find your style and find what works for you. And like, for example, I, when I read cards for clients, I don't read with the tarot spread. I kind of just pull cards and like, let the story unfold the way that it's going to unfold. But I know some tarot readers who, 
who use very specific spreads. And I know some people who kind of use like three, four or five decks. I think you just have to really figure out what feels comfortable for you and then just work at it. And, you know, you can change. You can do some like sometimes every now and then I'll read a spread for myself. Sometimes I won't. I think you just have to be present in the moment and go with what feels right for you. But if you are a beginner, I will say if you are a beginner, I do think having a spread helps just because it can be a little intimidating to try and pull 10 cards and like not really know how to tie them in together. Sometimes having questions just gives you a way to wrap your mind around what's going on. And then as you advance, you can like maybe do a smaller spread or you can try doing it without a spread or whatever. Try different things, see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I was just wondering because I know some people have different opinions on reverse cards. So I was wondering how you felt about that. Um, do you have... No, go ahead. I just think that I, I feel like people get so worked up with reverse cards. I think it makes people really nervous and people like so many times people assume that because you got a reverse card, it means it's bad and it doesn't. And I think if you're a beginner, like kind of just eliminate that worry, you know what I mean? And you can always do reverse later. Like there's no rule that you have to do reverse all the time unless you set that rule for yourself. So I think people like, people can calm down. It's just, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. I mean, yes, it's spiritual guidance, but it should also be a lot of fun too, right? It shouldn't be so serious in my opinion, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Do you have a favorite Oracle deck besides your own? Um, I really love Rebecca Campbell's Oracle decks. Um, I love all three of them, actually. The Rose Oracle, the Star Seed Oracle, I believe, and then the Lightworkers Oracle. I loved all of those. Um, I really love her writing style. Um, I love the things she chooses to put in her decks. I read those, I read with those probably probably 70% of the time outside of my own decks. Um to be honest with you, I don't really use my own decks for myself very much because I feel like if I get a card that I don't like, I kind of have to listen to it because I wrote it. So I'm like advising myself. So I sometimes I get a little weird about that, even though I have really enjoyed pulling from the Maven deck. Um, but I love Rebecca Campbell's decks 100% for sure. And then if there's one other that I really love. There's a deck um, called the Pure Magic Oracle deck, which to me is just like, it's so like soft and supportive and really nourishing. I really love working with that deck, like on my self-care days or days where I just feel like the world is kind of against me and I need like some loving support or some kindness in, in, in like the colors are very like pastel and soft. And it just feels like very, like a motherly deck. I really love that deck a lot. It was a gift from Rockpool, but I, I, it's been my favorite deck, I think for a long time, definitely in my top five for sure. That's cool. I'll have to look into that one deck. Um, do you have any advice for people who have a spiritual business or who are looking to start a spiritual business? Yes. My main advice is that you cannot run a spiritual business the way you run a practical business or a like regular everyday mundane business. I mean, obviously you got to do the accounting and, you know, like have proper financing and all of that. But I think that there is a lot of antiquated business rules that don't really fit in a spiritual model. 
um, that don't really fit in today's model either. I think that we're really moving away from what it means to have a traditional business. I mean, there's so many different ways to start a business now, either as an influencer or, you know, you you can just you can go this afternoon and open up a website and, you know, file articles of incorporation immediately. Um, so I think we really have to change the way that we do business. And I think that um, from a spiritual perspective, you really have to honor yourself. You know, you most of us are kind of one person shows. We're doing everything. And these businesses that we're creating really is a reflection of ourselves and the products that we make or whatever it is that we're offering. So don't take yourself out of the process, you know, create the things that you like create for yourself first and then just offer that up to everyone else. Because ultimately, like, you're doing these things because they bring you some sort of joy or some sort of fulfillment or something like they're bringing you something positive. And ideally the thought process will be, well, I felt something beautiful in this, you know, I want to share this energy with other people. So don't like, I know they say create an avatar and create a customer and yeah, that's fine. But I think you are your best customer and you should be your own avatar and you should create the things that you need and then just share it and talk to your customers. Like they're your friends, you know, like, I love that. Like, you you know, when you go to a girlfriend and you have drinks with her and you're like, oh, my God, you know, I love this clothing store. We should really go check it out together. Like, I feel like that's the way you should approach business. Like, I love this so much. I just want to share it. Like, I love it so much that I can't keep it to myself. I want you to be a part of it, too. Um, that's the way that I try and approach my business. And I think that when you do it from that way, it becomes like it becomes a way for you to get excited, especially when you have to deal with the things that people don't want to deal with, like the red tape and the, the you know, the inventory and all of that stuff that's really hard to manage. Um, it becomes a lot more enjoyable, especially if you're someone who's not like very good with social media. If you look at it as if these are all my friends rather than these are all my followers, I think it just becomes a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I was just going to ask about social media and how do you balance that or how do you feel about social media and like the pressure it can add sometimes? I have a love-hate relationship yeah. with social media. I really do. Um, I loved it at first. And then right when COVID hit, um, I kind of like, like, like stepped back from social media because I had such a negative experience. I, this woman like kind of like, like jumped all over me about not participating enough in Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, I am a Black person. Like, I don't even know what you're coming at me with. And it, it, it just felt like an unsafe, unsafe space for a while. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. Um, but I also think that at the time, I wasn't really operating in social media the way that I wanted to. Like I was so focused on getting more followers and getting more engagement and kind of like beating the algorithm. And I think that that took over what I really wanted to create, which was community. I think most of us get on social media. It's like, yes, we want to sell our products, but we also want to connect with our customers and, and have that form of community. And I had really lost my way. So I think if you're focused on just gaining followers and likes, then social media can be a really like, dark, dangerous place. But if you really focus on connecting with the people who genuinely do want to connect with you and who like want to have conversations and who are looking for you, looking to you for advice. And I think it's a beautiful place. And, and recently 
um, this year, I really just really started getting back on social media, like full tilt. And I've had the most amazing conversations with people, but I'm like, now I'm not even looking at my analytics. Like I'm not looking at how many followers I have. I'm not looking at engagement. I mean, yes, that stuff is important, but it's more important. I think for me now is just to be able to connect with people who want to say, Hey, and like who have questions and it's led to like new friendships. It's led to amazing conversations. It's led to people who are just like, you know, I just want to say thank you for, what you've done. And then that was so validating for me because I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Like, I feel like I'm actually doing something right. And it, it becomes like an equal exchange instead of me just trying to get something out of it, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. I feel like I was in the same boat as you sort of like I, last year I cared so much about growing my following and engaging with people. And I would spend so much time on Instagram to the point where it was like, I'd I hate it. I don't even care anymore. I'm so burnt out from being on social media so much. And then I literally stopped my business last year, like that, like a few months ago and didn't go on social media for a month. And it was so refreshing not to go on social media. And then I've started to post more, but like, I don't check the analytics. I don't really care if I'm losing some followers And I'm just kind of posting what I want to post now. And it's not like I'm trying to just sell, 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 sell as hard as I possibly can. And it feels so much better, so much more refreshing. And it's so like, there's no pressure anymore. And I can focus more on building a community and actually talking to people and posting what I want to post instead of like trying to post what the algorithm wants to see or what I think people want to see. So. I think it's a good mindset to have. And I think it really goes back to like, you brought up a good point of just how refreshing it is to like not have that pressure so much. And I, Uh, like that's kind of what I mean when I say like you are your best customer because like if you're a customer on someone else's page like you don't want to be bombarded with like sales advertisement all the time you know what I mean like you don't want to be bombarded with all of those things so like if you don't want it why would you think your customers want it too and I think for a long time so many of us creators kind of got like stuck in that need to beat the algorithm especially when Instagram started changing things and making it a lot harder for creators um but I think more more and more people are going back to this, like, I just want to like put out things that are inspiring to me. And I think that's when it's so enjoyable and rewarding and just like literally ignoring the analytics. Cause that like the minute I open it, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm stressing out. And I have to really like actively say, okay, this is not important, you know, at the end of the day. And also too, like followers don't necessarily equal more sales. You know what I mean? And I, there are people who, I know people who have like I don't know who have been on Instagram for like four years, have 6,000 followers and are making a million dollars a year. You know what I mean? Likewise, I know people who have, you know, 500,000 followers and aren't making enough to buy themselves a cup of coffee. So like followers at the end of the day don't really matter. And it's really the people that you're connected to most who become your customers. They trust you. They love you. Yes, 100%. And it's about the community too. Like if you're able to like you said, if you don't have many, many followers, but you have a community, that's what really matters. Yeah, 100%. Um, one question I ask everyone who's on is what does magic mean to you? Oh, that's such a loaded question. Um, (laughs) magic to me, you know, magic to me means being myself. 
honestly. I think the magic is in being authentic and just like being able to say, this is what I want. This is what I need. Like, this brings me more joy. This is really like a problem for me and feels toxic and, and having enough respect for myself to put up that boundary. I think that is more important when it comes to magic than any spell or ritual tool or book or, or anything that you can possibly buy. It's just that level of self-reverence and saying like, I'm worthy of the things that I want this spell for, or I'm worthy of all of this work that I'm doing to create more love or abundance. Um, I think for a long time, kind of kind of like the social media thing, I think I, I saw magic as just like a, almost like a wish card, you know, like a magic wand where things would disappear. And it wasn't until I really started doing work on myself and saying, okay, you know, I have a lot of blocks around feeling worthy and feeling insecure. And I'm not like, none of this stuff is working because I don't believe that I'm entitled to have it. Like, I don't believe that I'm even worthy of having all of that. And it wasn't until I started working through all of that stuff that I really saw significant results. So I think before you even try and work on a spell, like, do some deep soul work and ask yourself, like, what is preventing me from having the things that I want in the first place? I think that's more magical, literally more magical, more inspirational than anything else you could possibly do. Yeah, magic is like therapy or it forces you to go to therapy in a way. <laughs> it kind of does, because I I saw this meme the other day where... um. I can't remember exactly what it said, so I'm paraphrasing it, but it was like, um, a spirit says, enjoy the journey or something like that. So this guy like jumps in a pond and like literally disappears in the middle of the pond. And I thought that was so appropriate because that is kind of like what a spiritual journey is. Like you started thinking that it's going to be fun and like frilly and all of that. And then you realize this is a deep, wild ride and it forces you to do a lot of like that kind of therapy work. Um, but it's it's so good in a way because I don't think that you can be on a spiritual or magical path and be inauthentic or you can, but it's going to be really, really challenging, right? It's going to be really difficult because you're going to have to confront a lot of things that you maybe don't want to face, but then you, you face them and you realize, okay, this is what's been causing all of the problems in the first place. And now I can really evolve and now I can really like start bringing in more abundance. And I think that it's a, a difficult journey, but I also think it's really difficult, like trying to pretend to be something that you're not. So, you know, choose your, choose your level of hardness, choose which one you want to do. But at the end of the day, I think if you love yourself, your magic will, will increase tenfold, 100%. Like I stand by that. If you learn to love yourself, you will see way better results than with anything else. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I had such a great time talking with you. And I will also link in the show notes uh, where people can find you and where they can buy your deck and your books. You are very welcome. It's been a wonderful conversation. And thank you again for having me on. <laughs>